Welcome to Demand Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demand, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demodcast. My guest has been into sci-fi since seeing The Empire Strikes Back at the tender age of seven, and she is now a national best-selling and award-winning author. Not only that, she is the creator of Norazu, home of all things indie sci-fi, and she has the best author description I've ever read on Goodreads. Give it up for Cerise Rennie Murphy! Hello. How are you? I am well. I am amazing. I, matter of fact, I am amazing. Fantastic, even. Thank you for taking time. Ooh, to, I love that. <laughs> thank you for taking time out to chat with a perfect stranger. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. So, how many books have you written? I know you have a trilogy, The Order of the Sears. That's a sci-fi trilogy, right? Mm-hmm. So the Order of the Sears trilogy, to find you, it's a standalone historical romance with sci-fi elements. Then I have The Wolf Queen, which is a duology. Okay. So we're already up to six. And then I have two books with our son, Alice in the Magic Mirror and Alice in the Hidden Cave, which is a fantasy for an early reader fantasy for children. And then I have a series of short stories that have published. And so with the work that I'm working on now, it's actually 11 books and short stories. That's awesome. What's it like working with your son on a book? How did that come about? Oh, man. Well, he was six and could read pretty well, but wasn't really making the transition from picture books to chapter books that well. And put it in and I'll explain how that works in a minute. So um, he picked up Order of the Sears, which is my first book in the sci-fi trilogy, and was like, oh, mommy, can I read this? And I was like, no, because it's not a children's book. And he said, well, can you write me something that I can read? And I was so floored that he would think that, you know, think that I could do that. Of course I said yes. And I said, well, what do you want in your book? And he named three things. He wanted his, he wanted a good fight scene. And he wanted a sword. And he wanted his favorite stuffed animal, Chirpy, in the book. That's cool. And so I said, absolutely. But I knew that I had to have a book that was full of in-color pictures, which gets back to why he wasn't transitioning from storybooks to chapter books that well. When I asked him why he would read them, he said, Mommy, it's too many words and not enough pictures. And immediately I started to understand why comics were such a draw for boys and why we often lose boys when it comes to making that transition because he was absolutely right. When they had chapter books, the pictures got really small and they were all black and white and it was all Jan and her dog went to the store and nothing that a little boy who was interested in fight scenes and swords would be interested in reading. And so I started to put together a book that he would read, and he was my editor. So he proved the illustrator. He worked on the character designs. 
when I would write chapters, I would give them to him for approval and he would say, oh, mommy, we should do this. And well, I don't understand this work. It was a great way to test out, will this work? Not just for him, for other readers like him. And so that's how. A lot of kids hear, at least I hope they do anyway, but a lot of kids hear bedtime stories or something of, this, of that of, of that ilk. Your son could say, well, my mom wrote me a whole book. <laughs> that's cool. It, it was, and it was fun because as the stories went on, he got more and more involved in crafting the story. In the third book that we're working on, Alice in the Cloud Kingdom, our son actually came up with the entire story. So, are you ready to answer the six questions? I am ready. Although you snuck in one. Question number one. When did you know you wanted to be a writer? I didn't. In fact, I told myself I couldn't be a writer. I've written poetry since I was like 11, 12, and never thought about sharing it, never wanted to. And I used to tell myself that I was not a writer and I couldn't write anything longer than five pages. Even though in my professional life, I was a grant writer writing 50, 100 page grants. And so I never want be a writer. I've always been an avid reader. What happened is I got a story idea of my own and I love the story so much. I wanted to I wanted to see how it ended and I had to write it to find out. And so uh, I started and I kind of never stopped. What was the moment that got you from I can't write anything over five pages to now to having published 10 plus novels? How did you get to there? In a word, the characters. I feel really blessed. I, I, I'll never forget the, or, the idea for Order of the Seer. I was washing the dishes in the kitchen and suddenly had this vision of this man, this black man from Tanzania, and I knew that immediately, who was walking towards me, and he had a... Uh, cataract-like film over his eyes and ash blonde hair, even though he's a black man. I knew immediately that he was a seer. I knew that he was given a drug called liridium that was responsible for his appearance and bleaching his hair and his eyes. And I knew that there were people all over the world who were suffering that same fate. I knew that, that the entire story for Order of the Seers, the the heart of the story came to me as I was washing the dishes. If you are someone who has loved stories all your life, like I have, and you love sci-fi almost all your life, like I have, when you get an original story idea, for me, you just don't let it go. And that has, I think, well, that I know that's what pulled me through, is having a story to tell that feels bigger than me. Because this character came to me and gave me their story. And what I have to do, and I feel this way every time I start a story, what I have to do is find the courage to tell their story. That's all I have to do is find the courage to write it down and tell it in the best way that I can. And I believe in my character so much that I summon the courage to do that. And that's really where it starts and kind of the most and the highest calling for me is to be able to tell their story. And when I finish, look at it, and know that what I've written on the page 
reflects what they told me so that I can see that image and then the reader can see not what I wrote, but what they told me about their story. And that's when I know I've done a good job. And I never stop being honored by that, by the privilege of a character saying, hey, you, I'm going to tell you something. I need you to write it down. And that's what keeps me going. I've never heard it explained that way. That is wild. That, huh. <laughs> yeah, that's my process, I guess. Your writing process is you listening to your characters and transcribing what they tell you, basically. In a- yes. Wow. I ask a lot of questions. So with Order of the Seers, how do you have a conspiracy with people that can see the future? <laughs> that's kind of like, how does that work? And I remember just asking them, and I always feel like if I come up with the answer, it will absolutely suck. But if I ask the characters, like, how does this work? Well, they tell me things that I never could have imagined on my own. And that's what makes the story worth reading and and delving into. And then I become the audience. I write the chapter so that I can read the chapter. I can't wait to find out what happens. And when I say what happens. I know because I outline all my stories before I write them. Cause when I started my, we had a newborn and our son was very young. And so, you know, I was exhausted whenever I got a chance to write. So I couldn't then think, oh, okay, well, let me wait for inspiration or let me figure out what to write. Like literally I would still be on book one of order of the Seers. If I did that. So what I do is outline the story before I outline a story. And then I have a chapter outline of every chapter in the book, which is pretty basic, but important. It's what happens in the story. And then what is the tension at the end of that chapter that will make the next chapter a must read for that reader. I do that before I start writing anything. So when I come to the page, at the end or the beginning of what will surely be or has been a long day, I'm not thinking, what will I write? Where was I? I go, oh, chapter one, this is what happened. And then I just sort of, it's almost like I, I'm thinking of one of my kids, my favorite book, um, Carlos Tremendous, Sal and Gabby Break the Universe. And he talks about how to, to go into another realm, he just relaxes. And I was thinking that's kind of how it is for me. I just sort of relax into that moment and then open my mind to the character. And then they tell me not just what happened, but how it happened. Because that is always a surprise. I can say, you know, Liam, you know, finds the key here. And then a man breaks in the door. I could, that's meant to be my chapter outline. But how does that happen? How does he get to the door? What is he seeing? What does the room look like? You know, what is he thinking about? All of that is always a revelation. And that's what I'm listening to. But I'm asking questions, you know, the whole way. I have to try to see the story more clearly. And when I don't understand something, I really just sit back and I just start asking questions. Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you first started out? Oh, I wish I had known that it takes time. It takes time to feel comfortable in your craft. 
it takes time to get better at your craft. And all of that is okay. It's fine. It takes time to find your audience. It takes time to feel comfortable pitching your book. It takes time to feel like you know. It takes time to know what you're doing. And it takes time to feel like you know what you're doing. The whole process, every aspect of it takes time. That's what I was telling you. How long did it take you to develop that patience? Uh, or did something help you along with that? Discipline. I'd say it took me about good three years till I learned how to navigate my doubt in writing. So with the first book, honestly, I didn't plan to publish it. So I wasn't really worried. I was just so grateful I had a story. And that came out pretty, it was a pretty joyful experience. Well, by the second book, I knew I, I knew people were going to be reading the second book because I published the first. And there were so many doubts. Every day, it was just, it was like a maze. So I would get past, who do you think you are? And then the next day, I would come to the page and I'd be like, oh, well, what makes you think you can write this? You're not Toni Morrison. And then I'd get through that, and the next day would be some other manifestation of my doubt. It could be really debilitating some days. It would slow me down. I never stopped, but it would really slow me down. And I think by the third book, I was like, that's right. I'm not Toni Morrison. Do you mind? I have to write this chapter. <laughs> so I just learned that it's okay to have my doubts and give them less and less air to breathe. But that takes time. And by the third book, I'd written the other two. So the sort of what makes you think you can write a book, that didn't have as much weight. You're like, uh, you see these? That's proof I can write a book. Now you sit down and shut up and do what you do what you told. <laughs> Fall in line. Exactly. Exactly. Question number three. What's your go to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm so sorry about this question. I love this place called Highlands Cafe. It's on fourteenth street. No, it's on 13th Street in Washington, D.C., Upper Northwest. And when I go there, I order the Highland Breakfast, which has a big old waffle, just like plate-sized waffle. And then they bring you some two-order eggs. And I usually order vegetables with it, sometimes capers, and that's on the side. And then I get two strips of turkey bacon. And I go to town. Are you normally a breakfast person? Like, are, I, I, I know in, in my family, there, there are times where we can have breakfast for dinner. You know what I mean? Like breakfast food for dinner. Are you one of those types of people? Or yeah. is it, are you? I'm not actually a breakfast person. I could have breakfast for dinner, but generally I am not a morning person. And I believe that there are very few things worth waking up early for. And food is one of those things before eight o'clock so normally i'm not hungry so if i go to highlands i'm having that for lunch i probably haven't had much to eat and it's around one or maybe two o'clock and then i'm like you know what i'm gonna have this whole breakfast question number four 
what are you curious about? I'm curious about our superpowers as human beings. I'm curious about what is our highest and greatest potential. And I don't think we've tapped all of it. I want to see both in myself and the people around me what we're truly capable of if we believe, not that we are weak and small and simple, but that we are powerful and great and mighty. What could we create? Do you have any theories? Oh, I, I believe in superpowers. I absolutely do. Yeah, I think we already create, I know that we create the world with our thoughts and our, our voices before we ever take any action. And I think it's amazing how we don't think that we create the future, but we do. You know, we're like kids with these great big guns and you're just sort of waving it around and we don't recognize the power that that we have. And so I think, well, if we can create the future with just our minds and our voices, what else is there? Can I move that chair with my mind? And I think the answer is yes. I think we're just so limited in our understanding of who we are and our, our true capacity that we're just blocked. But I'm working on moving that chair every day. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> oh, man, that was wow. That was that was definitely not an answer I was expecting. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> what superpower would you like to have? Or are you t- or are you moving the chair? Mm, I think the superpower that I would most like to have is to be able to connect with the earth in a way that I could move elements. I was connected to water. Like if I was around water, I could manipulate the flow of water. Or if I'm standing on earth, I can connect with the earth and move it with my mind. Fire, all elements. That would be cool. An earthbender. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't have any follow-ups that was so dope i just wanted you to keep my mouth shut you keep like when you get done i'm like wow i really have no follow-up questions this is really going to be short because this is awesome i don't want to say anything and say anything too terribly silly i'm sorry i just keep laughing because i'm thinking you know, listeners are just, i'm crazy <laughs> i i am i guess <laughs> so that's fine we all got a little bit of crazy in us, and I am okay bit. with it. And I am okay with it. And you are okay with yours. That's what matters, right? I am. That's right. Question number five. Is there anything I should have asked but didn't? Yes. You didn't ask me about my favorite dessert. Your favorite. And that's really important. Your favorite what? Dessert. Oh, so what is your favorite dessert? Sugar in all its forms. My favorite of the sugar is ice cream and or cookies, depending on the mood. But I believe in sugar as its own blessed and glorious food group. So what is your favorite ice cream? Well... I'm so glad that you asked. (laughs) Right now, I am really loving Ben and Jerry's vegan chocolate chip cookie dough. And before, people are like, ugh, 
let me tell you, if you can get to a Baskin Robbins, it is gooey, it is creamy, it is crunchy, it is sweet. It is wonderful. And they do such a good, it's not chalky like a lot of, let's be real, a lot of vegan ice creams, or it can taste like buttery, slimy, which is totally weird. But that is my favorite ice cream right now. And I also have seasonal ice creams. Like, for example, I, I grew up on Baskin Robbins, so I'm going to be there a while. But I do have an opinion on a store-bought store ice cream as well, which you can go into if you like. But if it's summer and it's hot, what you need to get yourself is some Baskin Robbins daiquiri ice. And this is not a paid announcement. This is just a childhood thing. And if they have the rainbow sherbet, what you do is you get like half a scoop of daiquiri ice and half a scoop of Baskin Robbins rainbow sherbet. You sit outside and literally, literally, like the heavens will open up inside your mouth. And you're welcome. So what is your favorite cookie? Homemade chocolate chips. And I make them often. And then a close second, which I just discovered because our daughter is kind of allergic to chocolate, is butterscotch. Homemade butterscotch cookies. Same recipe, just switch butterscotch. And it's just really, it, it's really blissful. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I disrupted your, uh, you getting lost in your I was ability. getting lost in a rebel. <laughs> it was. I'm like, I need to make some right now. Now, are those, now when you're talking about the butter, uh, the butterscotch cookies, mm-hmm. are those like butterscotch chips? Yes, butterscotch chips. That does sound delicious. I could see why you would get lost in that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it's crispy around the, Edges, slightly gooey in the middle, but not too gooey. And just, oh, the flour is a backdrop of brown sugar and good. Yeah. So what's your favorite <laughs> type of Christmas cookie? Because this is probably going to air right around Christmas. Okay, my favorite kind of Christmas cookie is a brown sugar cookie. It is actually, every day I say chocolate chip, but the brown sugar cookies, uh, I only make them once a year because I would just be as big as Santa if I made them throughout the year. So I can only just delve in. I think it's it's two or three sticks of butter. Browned, brown sugar. It transcends just the brown sugar and it's this, caramel oh yeah so brown sugar cookies and the recipe is not mine i got it from america's test kitchen of all places but don't sleep on pbs and america's test kitchen because they cook that sucker like 50 times to tell you exactly what to do and if you do exactly what they say it will turn out exactly as good as they say so there you have it brown sugar cookies america's test kitchen i highly recommend it if I ever have the absurd amount of money that it probably would cost me, I would hire you to follow me around and describe everything I do. Because <laughs> you make things sound awesome. Well, that's because I'm describing awesome things. I'm telling you, I, 
you know what? We have to talk after this. <laughs> I make a whole bunch at Christmas, so I could send you some. Yes, they you have know. to be like FedEx. If you got to eat those suckers, they will not. I mean, I go to that after that, and they're just gone. And I eat them too. There's no shame. Question number six. If you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate? The awesomeness of black women. I think that needs to be celebrated. You know, when I think about all the ancestors and all the the community of women that inspire me daily, you know, I just, they need a holiday. They need a holiday, and that's what the holiday would be. You know, I remember early in my career, someone asked me, as a black woman, what made you think you could write science fiction? And I was so confused by the question. Because I was like, literally, that's the reason why I knew I could do it, because I'm a black woman. And we do everything, and we're amazing at it. And this incredible tribe of women that I grew up with, not women that I watched on TV, like women in my community doing amazing things made me think, well, if she can do that, I could probably tackle this book. And so, yeah, that would be my holiday. How would you celebrate this holiday? I'd be off and everybody would have to have pedicures. And how would I celebrate it? I'd probably take all my, I'd take my mom, my best friend, just again, you know, whoever I could get from the community of black women that I think are so awesome and that support me, I would, we would have like a five hour brunch. Yes. Just laughing and telling stories. That's exactly how I would celebrate it. But, um, you know, the women that I know, they're spread all over the country, but they're all awesome. Yes. Maybe we'd have to fly them down. That's how I'd have to celebrate. We all have to, like, hey, it's Black Girl Magic Day. We all got to meet in D.C. and go to Highland Cafe and get that big old breakfast. <laughs> and we just sit there and take up the whole restaurant and just laugh and laugh and just, yeah. Oh, man, there it is. <sighs> all right. Well, how can my listeners find you on the interwebs? How can they get in contact with you? Um, well, the easiest thing is through my website, and it's www.cerisereniemurphy.com. That's C-E-R-E-C-E-R-E-N-N-I-E-M-U-R-P-H-Y. And it's long, but it's worth it. There you can read excerpts from my books. You can contact me directly, learn more about and what I do. Thank you so much for your time. That was great. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's a lot of fun. Thank you, dear listener, for joining me once again on this wonderful, crazy journey that we call life and that I happen to call Demond Does. If you would like to show your appreciation or just to help out the show, please take a couple minutes. Go to your Apple podcast or wherever you download this. Take a couple minutes, sign in, leave a rating and review, five stars. The more ratings, the more people see the show, the more people see the show, the more popular the show becomes, the more popular the show becomes, the more people that can join us and join the conversation. Next week, I will be joined by filmmaker, philosopher, my words, not his, and just all around good guy. And oh my gosh, you're going to learn so much when we talk to. Filmmaker Jamal Hodge. 
So until next time, see, hear it, speak it, 